Would you like to hear a good secret? A secret of something good? Of course you would. Everybody does. We all want to be let in on a good secret, especially a secret about something good. There isn't enough good news going around, and we're all thirsty for it. Amen? Solomon says that good news from a distant land is like cold water to a weary soul. We're all thirsty for good news, especially for good news that we did not know before. Well, in Jeremiah chapter 33, the Lord has secrets that he wants to share with Jeremiah. Things that Jeremiah hasn't heard before, and when he does, he can't hardly imagine them being true. And they're not just good. They are great. The Lord calls them in verse 3, great and unsearchable things. Great and unsearchable things. But let's start in verse 1. This story takes place at the same time and the same place as the story in the last chapter, what we looked at last week, when Jeremiah was offered the chance to buy the field. Remember that last week? To buy that less than worthless field of cousin Hanamel's in Anatoth. It was less than worthless because at that time it was probably crawling with Babylonians who were besieging the city of Jerusalem and about to take the people into exile. So if Jeremiah was going to buy that field, his decision would have to be based on some inside knowledge of the future. To buy it, he's got to know a secret that nobody else knows to value that land. Because on the face of it, that deal was crazy. And on top of all that, Jeremiah was imprisoned at the time. Look with me at verse 1. While Jeremiah was still confined in the courtyard of the guard... The word of the Lord came to him a second time. This is what the Lord says. He who made the earth, the Lord who formed it and established it, the Lord is his name. Call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things you do not know. We learned last week that Jeremiah was under house arrest in 588 B.C., Because King Zedekiah did not like what Jeremiah had to say about him. He didn't want Jeremiah's message to be spread. Of course, that wasn't really stopping him from sharing the Lord's messages, and it obviously didn't stop the Lord from giving Jeremiah messages like he does here. Did you notice that the Lord uses his own name three times in verse 22? He wants us all to know that this message comes from him and nobody else. This is what the Lord, Yahweh, says the powerful creator God, he who made the earth, the Lord, Yahweh, who formed it and established it, the Lord, Yahweh, is his name. Here's the message, call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things you do not know. What an invitation. The Lord invites Jeremiah to pray and ask God to share with him even more of his amazing plans. He's told us that he knows the plans he has for us, right? We just reported that. We just re- proclaimed that in Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. What kind of plans are there? They are plans to what him? Prosper. Hebrew word shalom. He plans to shalom them. 
And they are not plans to harm his people. They're not going to get hurt ultimately. And they are plans for a hope and a future. But here the Lord says even more than that. He says these plans for hope and a future are great and unsearchable things. The Lord has extraordinary plans. They are great. They are marvelous. They are wonderful. And he says that they are unsearchable. Anybody here got the old King James Version with you this morning? What word does it use? Anybody have it? Great and mighty. Great and mighty. See, the Hebrew word there is often used for the word for fortifications. It's the word for making a wall strong so that nobody could break in. These are great things that the Lord is willing to tell Jeremiah, but they right now are behind a firewall. They're encrypted. They're safely locked in the black box unless the Lord hands you the key. Nobody knows these things on their own. They are unsearchable. For one, because they're in the future, right? And nobody knows the future except for God, unless he tells us. And they're unsearchable because they are too great to be grasped. We would never guess these things. I I think that's actually the basic sense of it. Jeremiah, you would never guess what I'm going to do. It's too mighty for your little mind to truly comprehend it. But just ask me, and I'll tell you. And then he tells him. Look at verse 4. It starts with some really ugly bad news. Verse 4. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says about the houses in the city and the royal palaces of Judah that have been torn down to be used against the siege ramps and the sword in the fight with the Babylonians. They will be filled with the dead bodies of the men I will slay in my anger and wrath. I will hide my face from this city because of all its wickedness. That's not a secret. At this point, Jeremiah has been saying that this is coming for 40 years and it's about to happen. Apparently, the people of Jerusalem have been tearing down their houses and even their royal palaces to try to fortify the wall against the Babylonian invaders. They're trying to make the wall as strong as they can. They're taking the building materials from their houses and they're putting them on the wall to try to keep the Babylonians out. But they will fail. They will fail. And those houses will instead be filled with corpses. Because the Lord, through the Babylonians, is bringing judgment upon Judah's sin. Instead of turning his face toward them and giving them peace, he's hiding his face from them and bringing them to justice. But here's the secret. That's not going to be the end of the story. Sometimes when Heather and I are watching a movie and something bad happens at the, in the first little bit and it seems like all is lost, I'll say, well, that was a sad story and go like I'm going to turn off the show. We, we little laugh, or she laughs with me, she laughs at me probably. And, uh, and we say, oh, that's not the end of the story. This, this, is a good, this is a good story. It's going to have a happy ending. 
It seems like Jerusalem's wound is incurable, but the Lord is the great physician. Look at verse 6. Nevertheless, nevertheless, I will bring health and healing to it. I will heal my people and will let them enjoy abundant peace and security. I will bring Judah and Israel back from captivity and will rebuild them as they were before. I will cleanse them from all the sin they have committed against me and will forgive all their sins of rebellion against me. Then this city will bring me renown, joy, praise, and honor before all nations on earth that hear of all the good things I will do for it. And they will be in awe and will tremble at the abundant prosperity and peace I provide for it. (laughs) Want to hear a good secret? Joy will return. Joy will return. The Lord is going to turn everything around. He's going to fix everything. He's going to heal his people. He's going to bring them back from exile. He's going to rebuild the city. Remember in chapter 1, it said he was going to tear things, Jeremiah's going to tear things down just with his words. And then he's going to rebuild them. Just with his words, that's what's happening. The the city hasn't even fallen yet. It's about to, but it hasn't happened yet. But right here before it goes down, the Lord says he's going to bring it back. He does that play on the word with the word, play on words with the word shuv again. Do you remember the word shuv? means to repent or to turn, to come back. He's got a double shuv shuv here. He says he's going to turn the turnings. He's going to reverse the reversals. He's going to shove shove the whole situation. He's going to fix everything so that it's how it was supposed to be in the first place. Which requires that their sins be forgiven. How great and unsearchable is that? What emotion did you feel when you realized that your sins were forgiven for the first time? Joy. Joy will return. The Lord says that he will experience joy. Did you catch that in verse 9? Then this city will bring me, renown, joy, praise, and honor before all nations on earth that hear of all the good things I do for it. For they will be in awe and will tremble. At the abundant prosperity and peace I provide for it. Oh, it's almost too good to be true. Yes. The nations will go, wow, would you look at that? And joy will return to the people of God. Look at verse 10. This is what the Lord says. You say about this place, it is a desolate waste without men or animals. Yet... In the towns of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem that are deserted, inhabited by neither men nor animals, there will be heard once more the sounds of joy and gladness, the voices of bride and bridegroom, and the voices of those who bring thank offerings to the house of the Lord, saying, Give thanks to the Lord Almighty, for the Lord is good, His love endures forever. For I will restore the fortunes of the land as they were before, says the Lord. 
joy will return. Weddings are going to happen again. You remember in chapter 16 when he said weddings are just going to dry up? He says worship services will happen once again. They're going to sing Psalm 100 and Psalm 136 once more. That's the lyrics there in verse 11. Give thanks to the Lord Almighty for the Lord is good. That's Psalm 100. His love endures forever. That's Psalm 136. We sing those every year at Thanksgiving. He says they're going to have Thanksgiving again. They'll be singing in the streets of Jerusalem. Friends, it doesn't feel like it. Nobody's singing in Jerusalem right now. Unless it's a dirge. None of this seems true or even likely or even possible. These folks are headed into the worst thing that's ever happened to them. Soon the bodies will pile up and everyone will weep their eyes out. Trauma in every direction. But joy will return. Do you need to hear that this morning? Joy will return. It might not seem like it in your life right now. Your situation might seem like you're going to be stuck in gloom forever. But the Lord promises to restore everything. The restoration that is coming for Jerusalem is just a, just a foretaste of the great restoration that God is planning for the whole world to be enjoyed by God's own restored people with their sins forgiven redeemed how I love to proclaim it redeemed by the blood of the lamb I know that I will see the king in his beauty in the new Jerusalem let me read to you again where all this is going. Revelation 21, the fullest fulfillment of Jeremiah 33. John the Revelator writes this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now is the dwelling of God with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. We keep coming back to this passage, don't we? Because this is where Jeremiah 33 is heading. He says this, He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Joy will return. There will be no more death, or mourning, or crying, or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. That's a great and unsearchable thing. Believe it. Joy will return. Do you like the Lord of the Rings? I love the Lord of the Rings stories. In the last book of the trilogy, The Return of the King, the character Samwise Gamgee, who's really the hero of the whole story, wakes up at the very end of the story. He thought on Mount Doom that he was going to die, and he thought all of his friends had died as well. But he was alive, and so were his friends. 
I hope that's not a spoiler for anybody this morning. The wizard Gandalf is there with him when he wakes up and Sam says to him, Gandalf, I thought you were dead. But then I thought I was dead myself. Is everything sad going to come untrue? I love that question. Because that's what's going to happen at the end of the story that you and I are living in. Everything sad is going to come untrue. Joy will return and return forever. And here's why. Because the Lord is going to send his Messiah, the Christ. Look with me at verse 12. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In this place, desolate and without men or animals, in all its towns, there will again be pastures for shepherds to rest their flocks. In the towns of the hill country, of the western foothills and of the Negev, in the territory of Benjamin, in the villages around Jerusalem, and in the towns of Judah, flocks will again pass under the hand of the one who counts them, says the Lord. That's the shepherd counting his flock, right? One sheep, two sheep, three sheep. He touches them all as they go in for the night. The presence of these shepherds once again means that the place has been restored. The exile is over. There are pastures for shepherds to rest their flocks. But when you hear that, what does that remind you of? We just came through it a couple weeks ago. Anybody? Kind of sound like Luke chapter 2 to you. And there were shepherds living out in their fields nearby. Nearby what? Bethlehem. In the region of Jerusalem keeping watch over their flocks at night, counting sheep, and yet trying to stay awake. I think that Jeremiah 33, 12 is at least one of the reasons why the angels came first to the shepherds. Because they were out there counting sheep, and the Lord was fulfilling his promise to send the Christ to them. That's verse 14. Listen for those familiar words. Last time Jeremiah uses them in this book, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the gracious promise I made to the house of Israel and to the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will make a righteous branch sprout from David's line. He will do what is just and right in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety. This is the name by which it will be called the Lord our Righteousness. Now, this sounds a lot like the passage we focused on during Advent, doesn't it? And Christmas Eve, the days are coming. How many times did we say that back in December? The days are coming. They are not here yet, but they are surely on the way. The days are coming when the Lord will provide a righteous king. He calls them a righteous branch sprouting from David's Line. Now, remember, the kings of Judah were all from David's line. The kings in the north were from different lines, but the kings in the south in Judah were all from David's line, like King Zedekiah, the one who has David imprisoned right now. He's from David's line. And Jeremiah has said that Zedekiah is never going to have a child sit on the throne. Looks like Zedekiah is the end of the line. 
The great tree of David's family is being chopped down right before our eyes. Timber! But out of that stump, a little shoot is going to rise. It's going to have a branch on it that lives. And that branch won't be like any of these wicked kings, these wicked sons of David. He'll be righteous. Verse 15 says that he will do what is just and right in the land. We had a candle about that back in Advent when we studied chapter 23. A candle of righteousness. This king's going to be a good one. A righteous king. Chapter 23 says that his name would actually be the Lord is our righteousness. Yahweh is our righteousness. And here in chapter 33 it says that he gives his righteousness so much that the city becomes called by that name. He's that righteous. He's so righteous that the city takes on his name. It comes out of heaven dressed like a beautiful bride. Do you want to hear a good secret? Righteousness will reign. Righteousness will reign. Joy will return. And righteousness will reign. When the Messiah comes, so will perfect righteousness. That means that everything will be made right again. Everything will not just be joyful. It will be right. Everything will be right and righteous, including you and me. Can you imagine a world like that? Our world right now is broken. It's beautiful, but it's broke. And so are we, fundamentally, inside. We said it at the very beginning of the service this morning. Why do we sin? It's because we're sinners. We do unrighteousness because we are unrighteous. But Jesus has given us his righteousness at the cross. This is what Ron has discovered just this fall. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we might become in him the righteousness of God. What an exchange. We gave him our unrighteousness and he gives us his righteousness back at the cross. And he's giving us, he's going to give us a new world that is all righteousness all the time. I can hardly wait. The Apostle Peter says in his second letter, in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth. What does he call it? Anybody know? The home of what? Righteousness. He calls the new heaven and new earth the home of righteousness. That's 2 Peter 3.13. When we sing that song, almost home, we're almost home, that's not just that we're going to see our loved ones that have died before. We're singing that we're going to go to a world that is right with God, where we are right with God, where everything is righteous, and righteousness reigns forever. Because Jesus will reign forever. Look at verse 17. For this is what the Lord says. David will never fail to have a man to sit on the throne of the house of Israel. Now he's promising something that seems impossible right then and there. 
King Jeconiah is in exile in Babylon. He's going to die there. King Zedekiah is soon going to be sent into exile in Babylon. He's going to have his eyes poked out. And then he's going to die there. So how can this be? David's never going to fail to have a man on the throne. Well, this afternoon, you might want to take a gander at the genealogy in Matthew chapter 1. Because Jeconiah, over there in Babylon, has six sons. And at least one of them lived, and his name was Shealtiel. And Shealtiel had a son, and his name was Zerubbabel, whom some of you know rebuilt the rubble right? We've memorized that. Zerubbabel rebuilt the rubble in the book of Nehemiah. And he had a son, and he had a son, and eventually a son was born named Jesus. And Jesus was crucified and then came back to life, and he now lives in the power of an indestructible life. Jesus lives forever, and so this promise will be fulfilled forever in one man. David's never going to fail to have somebody on this throne. You know why? Because he's never going to die again. And righteousness will reign forever. And it's more than just a forever kingship. There's also a permanent priesthood. Look at verse 18. David will never fail to have a man to sit on the throne of the house of Israel, nor will the priests, who are Levites, ever fail to have a man to stand before me continually to offer burnt offerings, to burn grain offerings, and to present sacrifices. There's going to be a priesthood forever. Look at verse 19. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. This is what the Lord says. If you can break my covenant with the day, and my covenant with the night, so that the night, so the day and night no longer come at their appointed time, then my covenant with David, my servant, and my covenant with the Levites who are priests ministering before me can be broken, and David will no longer have a descendant to reign on his throne. I will make the descendants of David, my servant, and the Levites who minister before me as countless as the stars of the sky and as measureless as the sand on the seashore. Now stop there for a second and just think about this great and unsearchable promise because that's a doozy that's a big promise you see how he takes the language of the abrahamic covenant and adds it to the davidic covenant he says that he's going to make the offspring of david as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore that's great and unsearchable and he says he's going to do the same thing for the levites who right then had the priesthood What's going on here? I think that he's pushing the boundaries here so that our minds can get blown and we have to think beyond the categories of the 6th century B.C. We have to think beyond the categories of the Old Testament and we have to think about the mind-blowing categories of the New Testament. See, my best guess is that those descendants of David are the children of God through faith in David's son, Jesus. We're the offspring. Spiritual children of David and royal priests to our God. The permanent priesthood here is the royal priesthood that we learned about in 1 Peter 2 as referenced in Revelation 1. Spiritual children of David and royal priests to our God, more than you could ever count, all because of the gift of his righteousness. 
John the Revelator says, To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Did you know you were a priest? Did you know that you were a descendant of David? Spiritually? The new covenant, I think, picks up the promises and the themes of all the ongoing covenants that came before it and weaves them together and transposes them into an unimaginably more wonderful key that is great and unsearchable and unbreakable. All of these promises, which sound too good to be true, are completely trustworthy and unbreakable forever. You want to hear a good secret? Faithfulness will remain. Roy, would you help me in number three? Faithfulness will remain. Every one of these promises will be kept. You can be certain of it. You see how these promises, how, how sure these promises are according to Yahweh? He, he brings in the covenant. His covenant with the day and his covenant with the night. I didn't, you didn't even know he had covenants with those things, did you? He said it in verse 20. If you can break my covenant with the day and my covenant with the night, so that the day and night no longer come at their appointed time, then all these other covenants are in danger. Okay, let's take a quick poll. How many times, just put up a, a number, how many times has the night failed to come? Zero, right. Copper's giving me a zero like this. That's right. Now, there's plenty of times when sleep fails to come. But the night always does. Okay, now how many times has the day failed to come? Right. It might stay dark and gloomy, but the earth keeps going around and around, right? Bet your bottom dollar. Look at verse 23. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Have you not noticed that these people are saying the Lord has rejected the two kingdoms he chose? So they despise my people and no longer regard them as a nation. Well, Lord, there's a reason for that. You've sent them into exile. You sent Israel up into exile in 731 B.C. And you're about to do the same thing to Judah in 586. None of these Good secrets seem likely. They hardly seem possible. Buying that field in Anatoth seems crazy. It doesn't seem like the Lord has good plans for us. It seems sometimes like his plans are to harm us. But even the harm that he lets come our way will not harm us. Faithfulness will remain. The Lord will keep every single one of his promises. We sang it last week. Amy Jo played it this morning. Great is his faithfulness. It's unbreakable. You could bet your bottom dollar. Look at verse 25. This is what the Lord says. If I have not established my covenant with day and night and the fixed laws of the er- heaven and earth, Then I will reject the descendants of Jacob and David, my servant, and will not choose one of his sons to rule over the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But I have. I've made those promises. I'm telling you, tomorrow is coming. It's inevitable. 
I will see to it. He says, for I will restore their fortunes and have compassion on them. That's a great and unsearchable thing. The Lord is going to keep every single one of his promises forever and ever. He's doing it right now. He's in the process of bringing joy back for his own people. He's in the process of establishing a kingdom of righteousness in his people and then for his people. He's keeping every one of his promises to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, and you and me in this new, unbreakable covenant. And he's going to do it forever. You want to know a good secret? Everything sad is going to come untrue. That's a great and unsearchable 